You know, it's good as we hear children share their stories of faith to look at our own lives and say, uh, do I have a story of not just that I've always believed in God, but for you personally, can you define a time where you said, I am trusting in Jesus to be my sin bearer, to be the forgiver, to be saved from the wrath of God. That's the joyful privilege of trusting in Jesus. So as we jump into our series this morning of Neighbortude, some of you know if you follow Instagram that Fred Rogers, a.k.a. Matt Collins, made his Instagram debut last week with his Neighbortude music video. And not to be outdone by another person who absolutely loves social media, wanted to get their voice in on the neighbortude concept. So watch this. My fellow Americans, it's a beautiful day for a neighbortude. Just let me tell you, we need to make America's neighborhoods great again. I'm delivering this fabulous speech for one reason to ask you, would you make time? Could you make time for a beautiful, luxurious neighbortude? It's a neighborly kind of attitude, believe me. A neighborly kind of tood, the best tood ever. But seriously, would you make time? Could you make time? The commander-in-chief of the universe has written a book, a big, beautiful leather book, is called the Bible. And he's commanded you and he's commanded me to love others like we all love ourselves. That's what it means to live with a neighbor tood. You know it, I know it, we all know it. This great, huge, great commandment to love our neighbors like Christ every day is how we fulfill the great, huge commission. So I urge you, Let's come together. Let's build a big, beautiful, huge neighbortudes. I'm talking big league neighbortudes. Thank you very much, and may God bless the United States of America. <laughs> All right, so we threw down the challenge last week of your creative expression of neighbortude. We got the big dog involved already, so we're looking forward. We got some other ones this week and looking forward to having an opportunity to share them with you. But if you have other creative ideas to reinforce this big, huge idea called neighbortude, we'd love for you to, to be a part. So when Jesus said, what's this big idea about being a neighbor? He said, neighbortude actually believes that my neighbors, your neighbors, literally my neighbors, they matter to God. Again, Jesus said that by simply declaring, if you sum up all of the scriptures, the law and the prophets, they boil down to two thoughts, love God and love my neighbor. So it's at the core of the heart of God that my neighbors genuinely, really, individually matter to God. Therefore, if they matter to God, the practice that would be basic in my own lifestyle would be to do what? To learn their names, 
God knows their name. Do you know their name? They matter to him, and they matter to him, and you would learn their names because God has chosen to merge our lives for his purposes. In other words, by merging our lives, I mean they're not my neighbors by accident. I'm not their neighbors by accident. God has sovereignly chosen where you would live and where those around you would live. It's not by chance. It's by God's design. So God has merged your life and their life for maybe six months, maybe six years, maybe 26 years. God has merged your life with their life. And therefore, if we believe they matter to God and God has merged our lives together, we must learn to stay out of the passing lane. And we got that picture of what the temptation is to be in the passing lane from the story that Jesus told about neighbors in Luke 10. So if you have a copy of the scriptures with you, let me invite you to open to Luke 10, and we're going to look again at this story told. It is so rich in understanding what it would mean to love the people that matter to God to whom he has, with whom he has merged our lives with for his purposes. Luke chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus tells this story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Every person has a unique story of where they've come from, where they're going. You have it, your neighbors have it. And fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Part of your story and their story is who has impacted them, hurt them, helped them, ignored them. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, what did he do? He got in the passing lane. He passed by on the other side, even though God had merged their stories. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, he got in the passing lane, passed by on the other side, even though God had merged their stories. But a Samaritan, a person you would think would be in the passing lane, was on a journey and he came upon him and when he saw him, watch the story change now, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them and put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. And then Jesus says to the man who asked the infamous question, well, who is my neighbor? He asked him now, after telling that story, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to those who fell into the robber's hands? And the man said, the one who showed mercy toward him. And Jesus said to him, go and do the same. So here's what I find, one of the many things I find compelling about that story. Normally, when you think of parts of speech, nouns, adverbs, verbs, adjectives, neighbor is what part of speech? N neighbor is normally a, a noun. Remember the 
the definition for way, 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 way back, person, place, or thing. So a neighbor is a noun, except when Jesus tells this story, he doesn't use neighbor so much as a noun. He uses neighbor as a, a verb to be a neighbor. It's a verb. It's an action. When he said to the man, which one was his neighbor? The guy said, the one who showed mercy. In other words, the one who did a particular action. And then Jesus reinforces his correct answer by saying, go and, what's the next word? Do, verb, the same. So, what I think is we're now three weeks into this series is what is so challenging about this is that we tend to recognize, wow, I have often not been a neighbor verb to my neighbor noun. You with me? See, Jesus tells the story because he is defining for all of us, not just this guy, he's defining for all of us a mindset that says, think of your neighbor in terms of verb form, not noun form. To say it another way, neighbortude is more than proximity. Now, is it, does it involve proximity? Sure. Neighbor, by definition, means literally those who live beside you or near you. So it involves proximity. Those whom God places around you, whether it's on a journey or where you live or your neighbors at work, neighbors where we worship. It's a proximity issue, but it's more than a proximity issue. Proximity talks about neighbor as a Noun. But what's neighbortude when it comes to a verb? Well, then it's proved. And I use the word proved because Jesus asked the question, who, what was the word? Proved to be the man's neighbor. Who proved, who verb form was his neighbor not just noun form. Have you been challenged thus far? If you've been a part, if you've been challenged, wow. What's it mean to be a neighbor, verb form, to be my neighbor, to be to my neighbor, noun form? That's what Jesus is addressing and what I want to specifically focus on today. What is the proof, verb form, that I am neighbor to my neighbor noun form. What was the first proof, the first verb of what the man did? Verse 34. What was the first neighborly action he did? Verse 34. It says that he came to him, that he moved towards him. So much, so much of this story hinges on the first step. You, you follow what I'm saying? Uh, the first step for the first two guys was away. And the first step for the third guy was towards. Think about 
your noun neighbors and ask yourself, which way are you stepping? Are you stepping toward them in any way? Or are you stepping away, getting into that passing lane, missing the fact that God has merged your stories with them by proximity in order that you might verb be a neighbor to your neighbor. And that begins with moving towards them. But where did that movement towards come from? Verse 33. What's it say in the text? Am I giving you the right verse? Yes. Yeah, he moved towards him because, it says, a Samaritan who was on the journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. I don't want us to roll past this too quickly. Because the moving towards versus the moving away was rooted in compassion. So what we'll see in the text are seven actions that proved he was a neighbor, but those actions were rooted in some core essentials. The first essential, according to the text, is for me to have be a neighbor verb form is to have a heart of compassion. And I've added the word humility more as an intro to what we'll talk specifically about next week. What I hope you'll capture is this. Nothing happens. The rest of the next six actions don't happen without the first one moving towards. And the moving towards doesn't happen until there's an acknowledgement of a heart of, what's the word? Compassion. Do you find yourself in an uh uh-oh moment right now? Because how many of you would describe yourselves as compassionate? Hmm. Some of you would. But I, I honestly, when I talk to most folks, the majority of people don't see themselves as compassionate people, which can be concerning for us because it's compassion that will cause the person to move towards, not into the passing lane. Is he the, is the Samaritan the first guy who saw this man? No, he's the third man who saw the guy, he's the first guy that it says he felt compassion. What did the other two feel? We could guess. The bottom line is we don't don't know. You could ask yourself, when you see a literal noun neighbor in need, what do you feel? Be a good question. Because what you feel in that moment will probably determine where you step. You with me? What you feel in that moment when you see a literal noun neighbor in need, you either go, I feel compassion and I move towards, or I don't feel compassion, I feel something else, or I don't feel anything, or I feel like, wow, I'm glad that's not me. That you move away. You get in the passing lane. Because I would not consider myself a naturally compassionate person, I thought, well, Doug, 
if compassion is the source for the guy to move towards, how do you become a compassionate person? And as I asked myself, as I tried to put myself in this text, here's what I realized. I actually am compassionate in particular areas and on particular issues. So I want you to ask yourself, where has life been hard for you? How has life been hard for you? Because in that, I actually think you will discover whether you see yourself as an overwhelming, compassionate person, that you actually have compassion in that area. Had the Samaritan ever been physically beaten up and left for dead? We don't know. What we do know by biblical context is Samaritans were social outcast. So whether they, this man had ever been physically beat up, he knew relationally what it meant to be beat up and left for dead. I think that's part of what's happening here. This man sees physically what he has had to happen to him relationally, and he goes, I hated when that was me. I'll move towards, as opposed to getting in the passing lane. You with me? See, it doesn't have to be, it might be huge. Some of you go, I have compassion for the homeless, and you have a story or a family story, or you have compassion for the orphan or the barren, or the widow, and you have a story, or your family has a story. Something that's been hard in your life it makes you compassionate that causes you to move towards. It's true for all of us. It could be big, could be small. Uh, I don't intend to reference my neighbor Fred in every sermon of this series. In fact, at some point he may go, enough. But I told you last week that he listened first week. And he sent me an email, Jackie and I an email, following up this, said, hey, I listened and glad to have provided an example for your congregation. And then he said, my motivation was not necessarily to love my neighbor, but after having moved 23 times while in the army to make your and Jackie's assimilation as comfortable as possible. See, did you catch that? What was, what was happening? Compassion. He was, and not in this all deep, horrible moment. He simply said, hey, my story is that I was often the new guy on the block 23 times over the years. And that can be hard. And so I just thought I could make it easier for other people for what was hard for me. So I wrote a paragraph on everybody in your neighborhood, the neighborhood, and gave it to you so that you wouldn't be on the out. See, that's brilliant, folks. I wish I would have thought, tell me why you wrote this, Fred, and then I could use it in a sermon, but I didn't. He simply said, here's where this came from. I hope you'll ask the question, What's been hard in my life? Big or small hard? You know, capital H, small H. 
What's been, what's been hard in my life? And how could I turn that? Because I would have compassion. How can I turn that to be, make it easier for the people God has merged my life with? It's so simple. It really is beautiful. Here's the funny part, though. Some of us have this moment of thinking, uh, I hate to say this, but my life's been pretty good. I can't think of anything really hard. If, that, if, if you're going, well, I have a hard time thinking of what's hard, then recognize that's because some people kept hard from you. Somebody worked to make it easier for you. What'd they do? And how could you do that for somebody else? Because you would have compassion for those who didn't experience what you've experienced because somebody took the hard out of your journey. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm taking so many minutes on this issue. I don't want you... See, we want to jump in and talk about all the details of what the guy did. None of it happens unless what? He moves towards. And he doesn't move towards unless there's compassion. And so let's not, in our pragmatism, run past our compassion because I think whether you would describe yourself as compassionate or not, something breaks your heart. And when God merges your story with the story of someone else where your heart is broken, don't pass. Move in. Move towards. Once he moves towards, then it all starts to follow with this. And came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put them on his own beast and he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. You see, all of that unfolded because there was a heart of compassion. So don't blow through this week without asking, Lord, create in me a heart of compassion that I'll move towards. And then all these other actions begin to unfold. What else did he do? Well, he moved towards and then he kneels down. Now, does it say in the text he knelt down? No, it says he bandaged his wounds. But here's the deal. You don't get to bandage the guy's wounds who's been beaten up and left, left for dead without getting down in his pain and in his circumstances. You see the picture. Nobody gets to be a neighbor to people who are in need by standing up and staying out of the muck and the mire. Whether it's big stuff or little stuff, 
There's a, there's a, a moving towards and not just looking over, inspecting and saying, whew, I guess when I get to Jericho, I better call that one in. He moves towards and his eyes tell him, because his compassion moved in there, his eyes tell him, I'm going to have to kneel down. So he moves towards, he kneels down, he gets hands on. You ever put your hands on a bloody person? A stranger? Huh. See, that, when I added the stranger, that makes a difference, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. I found a stranger. High school kid, a guy hit a bridge abutment um, about midnight. Horn was right outside our house. Horn was stuck and going. And so I ran out there, and the guy's covered with blood, and... There was a fence between us, and I think he was intoxicated, and so I was uncertain of what he would do to me or with me. And so as I went up to him and talked to him, put my hands on the fence and was engaging him, trying to find out what degree his injuries were. And then this was long before cell phones. Got the ambulance there. But I always remember going back into the house and then looking at my hands, realizing my hands were covered in a stranger's blood. Now, in our day now, this was early 80s, in our day, that freaks people out. Don't go near. You and I will never... In its deepest form, and I don't want to make neighbortude so big that it's always bloody. Sometimes it's, it's very simple. Sometimes it's more cookie level. But other times it's more bloody level. And there, there'll be some real reluctance to get hands on. But who's the neighbor verb form? to the neighbor noun form. The guy who moves the compassion, moves towards, kneels down, hands on. And then he walks with him. He walks with him. He walks with him because he takes the man who is badly injured and he puts him on his beast and then carries him the rest of the way to Jericho. And then he involves others. This was a, a new observation for me. So you can imagine this isn't the first time I've worked through this text. But a new observation for me was that this guy actually needed somebody else to help him help his neighbor. That's actually good news for all of us. Because the temptation to be in the passing lane is... I don't want to get involved because I might get involved beyond what I can handle, right? Here, here's the great news. The great news is that we have been placed to be part of a body of Christ. And so you don't have to engage to the limit that you feel like 
I can handle. You can say there are broader resources in the body of Christ that I can include others like this guy included the innkeeper to help him. And in that situation, he had to pay the guy. Many times in our situation, it's not by fee, it's simply by invitation. In fact, I want to give you a number of ways that you could involve others and specifically now involve the body of Christ at Christian Family Chapel in helping those that you would be tempted to get in the passing lane for because you'd think you'd be in over your head. For example, we have here at the church called Divorce Care and Divorce Care for Kids. It would be the rare, rare, rare neighborhood that is not impacted by divorce and kids impacted by divorce. Some of you, by your own experience, you have real compassion here. But you may, others of you may go, I I, I don't know what, I wouldn't know how to help. Really, one of the reasons that we started Divorce Care Divorce care here at the chapel is so that we could help our community who had been, felt like they had been beaten up and left for dead. And some of them are living on your street and they have no idea that something like divorce care and divorce care for kids is something that come, come alongside them and help them in that moment. Maybe you're here and you didn't know that. And you're going, I would benefit from it. Because are adults impacted by divorce? Yes. Are kids impacted by divorce? Yes. And so it's an opportunity for you, if you engage that because you didn't get in the passing lane, you engage that in your neighborhood. Step in, kneel down, get hands on. And one of the hands on may be to say, Can I tell you about a program we have at our church Thursday nights called Divorce Care, Divorce Care for Kids? Here's the information. It might really serve you. And you can assure them that everyone who serves in that has part of their own journey, divorce. So that there's never that situation where the person can say, well, you don't understand. I do, and I can, because I've been there. You get the point? It's simply how you would involve others. You don't have to lead them through the program. Simply allow us to help and to serve. Single and parenting, another ministry we have here at the church. Lots of single parents in our community. Grief share. Those who have lost a mom, a dad, a spouse, a son, a daughter, a brother, a sister. And life, like, how do I go on after I've lived life for so long with this person? And you go, that feels too big. I'm tempted to get in the passing zone because I don't don't feel like I can handle that. No, I can. What? Have compassion, move towards, kneel down, get hands on, and involve others. That there are folks who know and have experienced and there is truth that can help in your grief. You with me?
Involve others. Don't bail out because you think, I can't do it all. You can't. You're not intended to. You're part of a body of Christ. Financial peace for those who are getting overwhelmed with financial problems. Our Hope Center, that is our biblical counseling center. Do you understand that this whole ministry was started because as we looked at the neighborhood that God had placed us in, we determined that though there would be some need, the greatest need in this community was not for food or for clothing. It was for healing relationally. And that the word of God actually really does give life giving answers to relational problems. And so, when we do our equipping each year from January to May, it's in order to help you move towards, kneel down, get hands on, and then go, oh, I need some help of others. We try to prioritize at the Hope Center, first members, folks who, have put, who call Christian Family Chapel their home, and then second, our community who is unchurched. We try to keep that waiting list as short as possible, if a waiting list at all. So that if you got engaged in a situation that you said, hey, I've bandaged as much as I can, I got the blood in my hands, but I'm in over my head. Can you all help the best we can and the, most ti- the best timing we can? The Hope Center is designed to help. Would you ever refer? Tell someone about the Hope Center. Tell somebody about grief share. Tell somebody about divorce care. Tell somebody about single and parenting. And if not, why not? Why wouldn't you involve others? Our preschool, maybe you don't even know we have a preschool. Uh, Preschool needs are huge in our community. And specifically, preschools that parents can trust, leaving their children with. And so for years and years now, our kids went through the preschool here. But do you know that the majority of kids in our preschool are not from our church? They're from our community. It's a way we can come alongside. You could involve others. So I tell you all that. And if you want to learn more, again, out in our courtyard after the service, there's these gazebos lined up. Go to the impact one that says impact and get information. Not only to educate yourself, but something that you could then hand to somebody that says, maybe you'd be interested. Maybe this would help. God has placed You, all of you in unique sense, God is merging your stories with people, not just with people who you can by yourself help, but who you can help and then involve others in helping. To be the verb neighbor to the noun neighbor, the proximity. To prove that you really are a neighbor. You with me? You understand how you really can be a part of the body of Christ. So a neighbor involves others. Six, a neighbor takes out the wallet. (laughs) I don't know what you make a day. This guy put two days of his wages on the table and said, here, and if you need more, 
I'll help. Whoa, for my neighbor? Uh-huh. Really, my neighbor? I'd never do that. You probably wouldn't because maybe you don't even know their name yet. But if you knew their name and then began to learn their story that God is merging in your life, then you may go, wow, I actually have compassion. I care for what's going on. I want to kneel down, get involved, hands on, and be willing to put some money on the table. Because they matter to God. They matter to me. God's placed them proximity now in my life in order for me to be verb neighbor to them. Just pause here. Sometimes we're tempted to say, can I just pull out the wallet and skip all that other bloody stuff? How about I just write a check and then somebody else can do that other stuff? It's part of the process. It's not the only part. A neighbor comes back. You know, I've asked the Lord, we've prayed a lot that God would change us through this series. But I don't want us to be eight-week wonders. And then we move on. It's pretty powerful that the guy says, and I'll come back and put more money on the table if needed, get more involved if needed. I believe God has merged our stories. It's pretty powerful stuff. Very powerful. And it makes the the incredible joy of seeing what God is doing. And how, if we never go to Bible college, never go to seminary, which the vast majority of us, I hope, won't, but that God would use us right where he places us in verb ways. Verb neighbor. So all of this action happens after a heart of compassion followed by then that willingness to get involved. This is the the great, great challenge of neighbortude is to say, I feel and I will then get involved. So, so, so challenging to get involved, isn't it? In fact, the overwhelming feedback I've received two weeks in is this. Doug, I am really challenged by what I should. I just don't know how I can. What's the challenge? Minutes. It usually comes down to minutes. To get, in, to get involved <laughs> means I got to take minutes. In other words, the Samaritan was on a journey. He had somewhere to go to do something. And guess what happens? When he didn't get there on time, he didn't get to do everything he planned to do. Correct? When he stopped, when he bandaged, that slowed him down. When he went by the inn instead of where he was headed, it slowed him down. That's the reality of neighbortude. And so, here is the sign that we all hate. You cringe when you see it. Don't you? 
Detour? I don't have time for that. It's gonna, how, how long is this going to take me out of the way? What am I going to do? I'm going to be there late. No. This neighborhood is a, a detour sign, right? It's a, this is going to mess my agenda up. And it doesn't have to be in huge ways. I come home. Where's dinner? I've been talking with the neighbor. What? So are you going to be happy if your spouse engages in neighbortude and messes up your agenda? Ugh. Dinner's on. It's hot. It's getting cold. See, all of us have already accounted for all of our minutes. And our neighbors are going to mess it up. They, they are. I got a project to do. And I did not allot minutes for you to tell me about your story. Maybe I'm the only idiot in the room, but... Those are the things that I go, God, I don't have time for this. And so therefore, because inevitably, God merging my story with my neighbor's story is going to put a detour to my agenda, the greatest challenge to neighbortude, actually beyond a heart of compassion is this. A discipline of elimination. In other words, you know what I mean by a discipline of elimination? Because all of your minutes are already labeled. Neighbortude is never going to become a reality unless you eliminate something. I promise you this. Neighbortude will never only be added to your current life. It won't, because you've already added everything that you can add to your current life. And you're going, this is what I mean. Doug, I get it. I see it. I'm compelled by it. I just don't know how. And there is no how apart from the discipline of elimination, of freeing up minutes for God-ordained detours. And now you're going, okay. My son told me after first Sunday, he said, Dad, there's going to be some people who love this and most people are going to hate this series. And he's, because you're going to call them to stuff that's just going to disrupt their life. And that's true. It's true. This is going to disrupt your life. And I'd feel really badly if I was disrupting your life with lesser stuff when you have greater stuff. But I'm actually pleased to disrupt your life of the lesser for the greater. And it doesn't become any greater than this. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, it, it doesn't get any greater than simply saying... I am glad 
And, and this would be a miraculous work of God in all of our hearts. <laughs> I am glad for the detour. I'm glad for the detour because I believe God is at work here. God is merging our stories, recognizing, recognizing that the detour sign that we hate usually says left or right, but this detour sign looks a lot like this. Where are we going here? I don't know. Really, I don't know. Which is why, what do we do? We get in the passing lane and say, I'm just going to go buy it. So ultimately, friends, neighborhood is going to bring us to a place of confession. So I'm going to invite you to confess something this morning. Lord, I confess I've filled my life without including my neighbor. See, it's not exotic, but that's the confession. I have filled my life to the exclusion of my neighbor. And so I need a discipline of elimination. I have to. I can't add. I have to eliminate to create minutes for God-ordained detours. And thank you, because it's, it's the detour from the lesser to the greater. I believe that, because I believe they matter to God. And God is working in ways I'll never know. So would you confess that quietly there in your seat? Lord, I have filled my life to the exclusion of my neighbors. If that's true, confess it to him and invite him to lead you towards some manner of elimination. Lord, thank you. Thanks for the privilege. For the privilege of the interruption of our agenda with an eternal agenda. That's a great trade when I see it clearly, Lord. So help, help us to see it clearly. Not to resist it, to run or to fight from it. But to simply look forward to it. Thank you for the gift of interruption. Thank you for the gift of the eternal agenda invading our lives. Thank you for the privilege to love as we've been loved. Thank you for the privilege of having our stories merged and the, and the heart in our life become a blessing to others. Lord, I just want to say thank you for that gift. And may it be to the praise of your glory as we prove to be neighbors to our neighbors. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks. God bless for being here.